KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, August 10th. An end to Trump's Remain in Mexico policy. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Monkeypox cases are increasing in San Diego County as officials work to get information out to those most at risk and try to contain the spread. There are at least 98 cases in the county. The FDA has given emergency authorization for monkeypox vaccines to be administered just under the skin as opposed to into tissue or muscle. The process could turn one dose into five. The virus is spread through close contact. Those at the highest risk include gay and bisexual men, although the virus can infect anyone. Late last month, another resident at a renowned rehab center for veterans died of a suspected fentanyl overdose. Now San Diego County officials have decided to stop sending clients to a rehab program run by Veterans Village of San Diego. The major announcement follows the fourth death this year at the nonprofit's main campus. The county said it's putting a hold on admissions to, quote, ensure the safety, support, and clinical well-being of those with behavior health needs. Veterans Village CEO Akila Templeton said the pause will give them an opportunity to better assess potential clients from the county. The site of a former homeless encampment just outside of El Cajon has been transformed into a safe parking lot for people living in their cars. It's the first one in East County and will open today. The lots provide a legal place for people to sleep in their cars overnight, restrooms, and supportive services. It will have 16 spaces and will be operated by the nonprofit Dreams for Change. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. The Department of Homeland Security is ending the controversial Trump-era program known as Remain in Mexico. Ending the program was one of President Joe Biden's first campaign promises. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis has more. Under the program officially known as Migrant Protection Protocols, thousands of asylum seekers were forced to live and wait in Mexico while their cases were adjudicated. While in Mexico, many were robbed, beaten, sexually assaulted, and kidnapped. The direct effect of the policy was exactly what the Trump administration wanted, which was to deny people access to asylum. That was Blaine Bookie. She is the legal director of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies. Local advocates welcomed the end of Remain in Mexico, but they say other Trump-era policies will continue to keep asylum seekers out of the country. So I think that the legacy is that there's just a complete dismantling, destruction of our asylum system. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. There are currently about 6,000 people enrolled in Remain in Mexico. They will be allowed to enter the United States as they return for their next scheduled court dates. (music) 
A new ordinance to create oversight of surveillance technologies is waiting for a signature by San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says it will govern how police can use surveillance technology in their jobs. Under the ordinance, the City Council must approve the use of technology that can monitor and identify individuals. Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans, Hamira Yusifi, says the ordinance has been years in the making. So the Surveillance Oversight Ordinance came about after it was made aware that the city of San Diego um, had smart street light cameras, thousands of them installed all over the city without any education or information to the public. The ordinance includes a one-year grace period, which is intended to give the city time to assemble the Privacy Advisory Board and allow city departments to survey which technologies they use. But the ordinance includes an exemption for police officers on federal task forces at the request of Police Chief David Nislet. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Police departments throughout the county are attempting to engage more with the community in hopes of building trust with the people they serve. And Carlsbad Police says it is creating a community police engagement commission to do just that. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us activists see some problems with this effort. Earlier this year, Carlsbad City Council voted to form a Community Police Engagement Commission. The goal of the commission is to foster strong police community relations. The commission will allow the public to give recommendations on police policies. But Yusef Miller with the North County Equity and Justice Coalition says it's missing key elements. Well, it it doesn't have enough power behind it, not enough teeth to hold law enforcement responsible or accountable. In a statement, the Carlsbad Police Department said, We encourage and maintain an open dialogue with our community and advocacy groups so we can better understand their concerns and work together towards solutions. We understand strong relationships and transparency are essential to effective community policing. An ordinance will be developed for city council review later this year before recruiting for the commission begins. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. The pandemic has taken a toll on the mental and emotional health of California school-age kids. Now the State Department of Education is launching a program that aims to recruit 10,000 new mental health professionals to school campuses. Here's California State Superintendent of Schools, Tony Thurman. Our students deserve and need to have more support and we're grateful to have resources that we can use to help them. We recognize that it will take time to build out many of these resources. It's why we've embarked on such a big number. The program includes $20,000 grants to graduate students who complete their advanced degrees and work in K through 12 schools. Amy Bintliff is a professor and developmental psychologist who researches adolescent well-being at UC San Diego. She joined KPBS's Maureen Cavanaugh to talk about the need for school counselors. How great is the need for more school counselors in California and San Diego specifically? Very great. Those of us working with adolescents have seen a rise in depression, anxiety, and suicidality over the last 10 years. And so we've been advocating for this for a long time. And the pandemic kind of moved those numbers and shifted those numbers so that the community at large became more aware of the issues. In 2019, one in five California youth considered suicide. 
And the California student to counselor ratio ranked near the bottom nationally. So we were seeing these rising rates of anxiety and depression among children and youth. And yet we had one of the lowest of ratios. California has 527 students per one counselor. And that's more than double the recommended rate of 250 to one. So there's a great need for counselors. The pandemic, of course, brought this situation to the forefront because more parents were seeing signs of anxiety and depression at home. And we're just really grateful that California is now taking a stand to create spaces for mental health education within school settings. Amy, what have you been hearing about the kind of pandemic impacts that have been showing up in children in the classroom? In the classroom, we've been seeing a lack of focus, and that makes sense because anytime students have depression or anxiety, focus is one of the first things that's impacted. These mental health concerns greatly impact the ability to learn, to store things within your short and long-term memory, to be able to access any kind of knowledge to um, apply to a new skill, for example. The pandemic brought about isolation and a lack of purpose for children and adolescents. We know that protective factors like belonging and mutual care and peer-to-peer connections, having a purpose such as serving the community were all put on hold during the pandemic. And that created a great deal of isolation and it lowered child and adolescent well-being overall. So teachers are seeing the effects. They were seeing the effects while virtual instruction was going. Some of the teachers in San Diego County that we interviewed for a large study said that students just literally disappeared for long periods of time. In addition, some of our most at-risk students never came back to school, so our enrollments are dropping in some areas. So how do school counselors intervene to help struggling kids? Can you give us any examples? Yeah, counselors play a really important role within a school setting. Counselors can run small group interventions or whole class lessons for children. They also are one of the first places that teachers go for resources on mental health or on any behavioral concerns within the classroom. Teachers often turn to a counselor to get some extra support and strategies. Counselors also offer one-to-one support Counselors are often people that have contact with parents and are able to supply community resources for mental health. They can train their school on trauma-informed care. What is trauma? How do we recognize the signs and what can we do to support our learners? They can also advocate for equity within the classroom as we know that certain um, disparities exist in California among youth that are particularly at risk, such as gender nonconforming youth or youth of color. And finally, they can provide social emotional learning within the classroom and help teachers learn to implement that and reduce the stigma overall of pursuing therapy or needing additional help. That was Amy Bintliff, a professor and developmental psychologist at UC San Diego speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Maureen Kavanaugh. Coming up, drama around where San Diego pickleball enthusiasts can play. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. SDG&E and the City of San Diego announced a program yesterday to bring rooftop solar to moderate and low-income neighborhoods at little or no cost to homeowners. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn says the program is part of SDG&E's franchise agreement with the city. It's called the San Diego Solar Equity Program. It aims to cover 100% of the cost and up to $3,500 in upgrades for homes that needed extra preparation for solar installation. SDG&E will commit $10 million toward the 10-year program. Larry Godenhurst is the CEO of the Center for Sustainable Energy, which will oversee the program. We're going to use a very specific filter to identify these families called the San Diego Climate Equity Index, which combines economic factors, environmental factors to identify those families in San Diego that are most at risk from the grave risks posed by climate change. Applications for the program open next month. To see if you qualify, visit sdsolarequity.org. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. San Diego pickleball enthusiasts have found themselves in a bit of a sour situation. The game requires a special court and there are few places to play in the city. KPBS reporter Claire Trigasser says this has led to drama. You can hear it from the parking lot. Emanating from a Chula Vista park on a warm Thursday evening is the sound of hundreds of plastic pickleballs slamming into hard asphalt. Men and women, young and old, gathered to play the trendy sport that has exploded in popularity in recent years. One of them is 71-year-old Mark Breezeboy. If you look at my uh, contact list on my cell phone, I probably have 400 people I've met playing pickleball. But these picklers have a, well, pickle. I'm appalled at the fact that San Diego does not jump on the bandwagon and get into the pickleball swing. Local picklers are led by Stefan Boyland, one of the founders of Pickleball SD. In pickleball, there are dinkers who make soft shots and bangers who drive the ball hard to overpower their opponents. In his dealings with the city, Boyland is definitely a banger. We've gotten a lot of lip service, but we haven't gotten a lot of action. We still have zero dedicated public pickleball courts in the city of San Diego. That's right, zero. You heard me right. Uh, we're about five years behind every other city. Boyland clearly has a mission to bring pickleball to the masses. But like many before him who have attempted to get the city of San Diego to do anything in a timely fashion, Boyland is stymied. To build new courts, he needs meetings, plans, approvals, permits, and construction. Pickleball, he says, cannot wait. So Boyland rose up, staging what amounted to an Occupy Tennis protest, or maybe a pickle-in? You guys do know that you have to sign in and pay a fee, and it's for tennis only. Yeah, we understand that. 
Last week, he and other picklers stormed the courts at Rob Field in Ocean Beach, set up their own pickleball net, and started to play. A tennis player called the police, and a dispute erupted over whether they had an active permit. Go! Get out of here! I don't play pickleball! No charges were filed. The city wants both of the sports to thrive, but not without hindering one over the other. Tim Graham is a spokesman for the Parks Department and says the city has no plans to change the tennis courts at Rob Field to pickleball. The city is trying to find ways to provide as many pickleball courts as possible um, without displacing other organizations. Options include taking over unused shuffleboard courts. Apparently, there's no shuffleboard lobby in the city to protest plus striping new pickleball courts on basketball or other hard surfaces. And the city has brought in a national expert to interview both sides and come up with a pickleball tennis peace treaty. Um, I understand um, that once people got into this sport, it's pretty addictive and people seem to really, really love it. But, you know, what, what the city's doing, it's best to provide these services as quickly as we can. At noon on a recent Friday, only a few courts at Rob Field were being used by tennis players. While outsiders might wonder why they can't share tennis courts with pickleball, that just won't work, says Todd Sprigg. If you play pickleball, it has a very different sound, okay? And, and so those sports are not necessarily compatible next to each other. Plus, the lines on the court are different, the nets are different, and players would want the courts at the same time. Sprague says he agrees there is a need for more pickleball facilities in San Diego. But cannibalizing tennis facilities when tennis is growing and has grown doesn't make any sense at all. So the city is left working on a compromise that doesn't involve cannibalism. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.